funny thing is when I talk to Chinese leaders, they they actually now want Trump to win a second term. Wow. And that, wow. Which is shocking, right? It's shocking. Under Trump, they see that the relations between the US and core allies is so mistrusted that that the Chinese have more opportunity to make up ground in other places, which they fear they wouldn't be able to do as effectively under Biden. And that that really says something. Welcome back to Yang Speaks. I'm Zach Grauman, Andrew's campaign manager from our 2020 run. Today, we've got another bonus episode for you that answers this question, what is going on in the world? Um, But seriously, coronavirus is a global pandemic and we're all feeling the effects at home. But there's a real question of what this has done in terms of changing the rest of the world and where we, the United States, stand in comparison. So in this episode, we bring in the one and only Ian Bremmer who's a foreign policy genius and expert, president of the Eurasia Group and G Zero Media. And him and Andrew talk about the future of the world. And I mean the actual world and not just our own little worlds we live in right now. On a personal level, um, I've always really hated foreign policy. I never really understood it. And most people I find, while they say they care, they, they generally don't. But these guys get into some really crazy, nerdy stuff, which I found fascinating. They talk about why... China or how China actually wants Trump to win because they love that Europe hates us. They talk about how surveillance states have been able to respond faster to COVID and why our distrust in the United States of our government is actually hurting our recovery right now. And the last thing, talk about something called geoengineering, which is when you start making man-made efforts to combat climate change. So buckle up. This bonus episode is about the new world we are all going to start living in. I feel like the U.S. right now is in more of a position to need help than offer it. Uh, You know, it seems like we still have massive shortages of testing and PPE. Yeah. Do you think that China has an opportunity to genuinely fill that vacuum? Um, You know, I, I think that the United States, if we wanted to do more, we certainly could. You're right, Andrew, that today... We, we lack tests, but in six months time, 12 months time, th- this debate is not gonna be about medical supply chain. It's gonna be about getting the global economy back moving. And a whole bunch of developing countries are gonna desperately need aid. And we've got the deep pockets. So there will be a question of the IMF, the World Bank, others, are the Americans gonna step up with our allies? Because the Chinese are not gonna do much. They're still a comparatively poor country. Where I think the Chinese have a real advantage is the fact that you and I are sitting here talking about this in the teeth of this crisis, and the Chinese economy has already restarted because they have a surveillance state. They have a technologically empowered authoritarian system, which has allowed them to quarantine people, to get 100% compliance, and to control the rebuilding of their supply chain, getting it up and running when the Americans and the Europeans are still shut down and deeply politically conflicted about how and when we will restart it. And I think that that ability of the Chinese to show countries, maybe some countries that don't care quite as much about democracy, but really want to get their economies going, hey, 
Look at what we're doing with technology. Look at what we're doing with surveillance. Look what we're doing with data. Wouldn't you like to have your economy re rebuilt like that? And by the way, that'll also give you, the government, a lot more control of your population. They'll be much more quiescent. They'll be much more loyal. I worry that there are countries out there uh, in Southeast Asia, in Sub-Saharan Africa, in East and Southern Europe, even in Latin America, that will find that model more appealing. America won't, Japan won't, Germany won't, but it's getting harder. When the average American doesn't believe in the American dream and the average Chinese does believe in the Chinese dream, which is what Xi Jinping uses, right, when he tries to really gain patriotism in China, we've got a problem in convincing others around the world that you should follow us. I had family members who arrived in China and they were greeted at the airport uh, and then escorted to their apartment for quarantine. There was a monitor put on their apartment to let anyone know if someone left. And then a government worker showed up there every day to take their temperature. And I tweeted this just being like, hey, this is what's happening in China. And people saw that and were like, wow, that would never be possible in the United States of America on multiple levels, like uh, that there is such a premium on our individual liberty. And the exporting of authoritarianism and surveillance technology, it's a very dark vision, but I 100% agree it's happening. Like it's going to happen. It's like the exportation of dystopia. Yeah, I mean, you and I probably saw the same Black Mirror episodes. Uh, so I mean, did yeah, you? it's true. I watch Black yeah. Mirror as like, uh, you know, uh, homework, due diligence. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, where are we going in three years? What's happening in China in two weeks? That's basically Black Mirror. One of my favorite quotes, it comes from William Gibson and it says, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And so a lot of what we are seeing in China right now could be coming to a theater near us real soon. And I agree that the U.S. government uh, would have a hard time implementing all of that. But, you know, Facebook is implementing a lot of it without it being policy. We're just willingly giving them all of our data because it's a quote unquote free service. And when Apple and Google suddenly say they're going to work together for geolocation and contact tracing, because without it, we can't restart our economy. I mean, I think there are a lot of Americans who would be very willing to say, well, I want control of my data, but if that's the only way I can get back to work, I think a lot of people are gonna take that. You know, my mom, I, you know me, I grew up in the projects. My, my mom was not a capitalist because she didn't have capital. She would have been a capitalist if she had capital, but she didn't believe in that system because her view was, you know, capitalists are just people that try to screw me and my family um, for their own benefit. And so this idea that somehow Americans would never tolerate X, Y, or Z, I think starts to change when Americans get pissed off that their system isn't providing for them. I mean, Americans would never vote for a socialist president, except a lot of Americans now are much more supportive of things that feel like socialism in the United States because they think capitalism doesn't work for them. So I think representative democracy and capitalism as we have lived it in the last 40 years, your and my lifetime, Andrew, do not appear to be working for the majority of the American population. And that, that I think, will lead us to change what we are and are not prepared to tolerate from our leaders. 
You mean like quote unquote socialist ideas like giving everyone uh, twelve hundred bucks <laughs> or giving everyone for, a thousand bucks a month? For example, I've, I mean I've heard of that as an idea, right? Yeah, yeah. There was someone who uh, <laughs> who ran around the country talking about that a lot. <laughs> and, uh, now, and now it's like and now other countries are actually doing it, which is the funny thing. They should be giving you a small royalty. You wouldn't need much. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just settle for us doing it here. <laughs> like the more, more more countries do it, some uh, how know, much did it hurt else. you that Trump put his name on that first check? Did that annoy you? Well, what annoyed me about it was that he actually delayed the checks as a result. You know, it's like I don't really care whose name's on the thing, but if you're going to delay payment just to get your name on it, uh, if that's you know, true, that's unconscionable. That's just unconscionable. <laughs> exactly. Like if you're going to do it, it has to not uh, take any extra time. Uh, you know, it's like I mean, if I'm uh, an American on the other end. I just like I just want my fucking money. It's like I don't really care whose name's on the fucking check. Just like get me the money. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. How did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is most of us didn't have much of a choice because ISPs operate a lot like monopolies in the regions that they serve. They then use this monopoly position to take advantage of customers and yes, they even sell your data, your activities to advertisers and big tech companies and you don't see a dime. That's why I protect my internet surfing and devices with ExpressVPN. When you use ExpressVPN, it's like a magic portal to a perfectly safe and anonymous internet. And don't take my word for it. This is the number one VPN service according to CNET. It's used by major companies all over the world. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech companies who then mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with a VPN I trust to keep my privacy online. Visit expressvpn.com slash yang. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash yang to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang right now to learn more. It, it is an unprecedented time. I agree with you that many Americans would be willing to share data points if it meant uh, reopening or being safer, like saving lives. Yeah, we need that. And I mean, that's how South Korea was as successful as they were. Very early, they had effective contact tracing for every single case. They were enormously aggressive about it. It was quite intrusive. It would have felt uncomfortable doing that in the United States. But I, I you know what feels a lot more uncomfortable being is fucking, the fact Being that, stuck in our fucking houses and people dying, yeah, that's And people dying and unemployment going up and all this other shit. I mean, I just, I just think that life is not happy for a lot of Americans right now. Yeah, it's terrible, it's devastating. You know what's funny, and I was in Iowa campaigning still, and some reporters from Bloomberg asked asked me about uh, the coronavirus. And this is before it had become really anything yeah. here in the US. And I said, I was like, look, we should be freaking tracking anyone who lands from uh, affected areas and just like follow them around and just make sure that nothing's going on with them for the two weeks until you you see whether they're they're symptomatic. And then the Bloomberg reporters looked at me and were like, follow around. There's such like a mistrust of government here in the US. I think that many Americans would be more open just to giving their data to Facebook and being like, yep. Facebook will keep track of this uh, than giving it to the government. Yeah. I mean, that that's 
like uh, that mistrust is uh, making it harder for us to get a lot of things done. One one thing I'd really, I'm surprised we're not talking more about, I don't mean you and me, but generally, is we need everyone to wear N95 masks. And you can't say that right now because we don't have enough for medical personnel. And so you don't want um, to have a run on them. But every serious epidemiologist I talk to tells me that if citizens are engaged in social distancing and all wearing N95s or, K- or whatever the, the Chinese version of the N95 is, which is just as good apparently, yep. that actually you would bring the curve down functionally to a tiny fraction of what it now is. And that would allow us to get the economy back up and running. And in the pre-vaccine stage, that's going to be perhaps the biggest single piece of allowing everyday Americans to get back to work. And I agree with you that I think the reason why they're not saying everyone should wear an N95 is because we don't want to have a run on it where healthcare providers uh, don't have access to it. But I also agree with you that that's where we should head as quickly as possible. Like as soon as we get the supply. Yeah. But again, we're not moving anywhere close to fast enough in that direction. You know, you put that order, the defense order in for more ventilators. Ventilators are hard, as Trump keeps saying. Uh, and 95 masks are actually not that hard. This is something that, you know, three months into the crisis, the world's only superpower should be able to do. And that, and that angers me. You know, I'm just, I understand that China lied to us, they covered it up, but they covered it up to everyone, including their own people. So, I mean, we found out about what was going on in China at the same time that Singapore did, that South Korea did, that Germany did, that Taiwan did, that Canada did, that New Zealand did. How is it remotely possible that we are not outperforming those countries given all of the extraordinary science and tech and resources and private sector companies that we have in this country. I, that, ju- it's that, that level of that lack of accountability just really, really, I mean, I, we know that Trump has no empathy. We know he's not fit to be president, but, but the complete lack of accountability and responsibility under his leadership in this, in this crisis is just unacceptable. I could not agree more. It's disgusting. It's reprehensible. And I'm so pissed off about it. Just the value destruction and like lives lost and everything else that could have been averted if you'd had anywhere near competent leadership and execution. And if anything is right in the world, it's going to be uh, like the end of Trump's presidency. Like, you know, it's like the the fact that we're we're all in this boat. Uh, You know, we ought to be able to vote him out. Like right now we're in crisis mode, so we're all saying like, yeah, let's let's come together and let's help each other and the rest of it. Uh, but if there if there is like an inspection of just the depth of our government's failures, it's going to be beyond infuriating for many many of us. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, people are going to get more sick, more going to die, more economic impact as a, because we are not coordinated, because states are pitting against each other and pitting against the federal government as opposed to the country all rowing together. Yeah, the state versus state bidding wars I'm hearing about, like the, the fact that FEMA is like appropriating supply and like outbidding everyone for a national stockpile. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's still a total shit show mess. You know, like when, when I talk to folks, because we're involved with trying to help get PPE into people's hands. Uh, we've been doing economic relief. And when I talk to people at the hospital level, like there's still areas that are completely under-resourced that if you had any kind of rational national leadership, you'd be like, you know what? 
rural Mississippi is going to be a real problem. Like rural Louisiana is going to be a real problem, you know, and those communities, uh, predominantly black, uh, you know, low levels of healthcare infrastructure, high levels of pre-existing conditions. It's going to be very, very difficult for us to get our arms around this virus if it's just ravaging poor black communities and, we just have nowhere near the levels of resources to help them because they're getting stockpiled in some richer state. I mean, even under Obama, inequality grew under eight years of Obama in the United States because this is so endemic, it's so structural. And and a crisis of this size, when s- stimulus is massively politicized and you get it if you're close to the people that are making the decisions, we know that's the way it works. Inequality is gonna be driven well beyond pre-depression levels in the United States. And and we're gonna have to ask ourselves some very uncomfortable questions about whether we really live in a representative democracy. You know, the things I was worried about are now at our doorstep. I mean, it's it's incredible, the accelerated timeframe. Let's say that, you know, I'm Joe Biden and it's 2021. Like, what does the world look like if the United States does what it's doing now or does very little internationally? And then what could the world look like if we were to take a set of affirmative steps? The world looks more anarchic. Human rights matter less. China grabs a larger chunk of some really poor countries There's less coordination in responding to big global challenges, not just like the pandemic, but climate, AI, ethics, biotech. I mean, the big challenges that are coming down the pike end up getting resolved differently by different countries and lowest common denominator applies. So rogue states and individuals become more important um, and there's a lot more danger in the world. And the United States becomes just another, but really powerful, but just another state. There's nothing exceptional about it. And I think what the US needs to do as a country that still is the most powerful in the world, has the world's largest energy production, food production, most powerful private sector corporations, entrepreneurship, and the reserve currency, is that we need to actually spend that both more at home first, because if you don't take a care of the average American, then the rest will go away. But you also need to really uh, invest in trusted relationships with allies. Trump's biggest mistake, in my view, in foreign policy is that he actually thinks that a strong Europe is bad for America. He supported Brexit. He supports you know, the Italians and others that are trying, Eurosceptics like Orban in Hungary. That's a disaster. When you're fighting against China, that has an authoritarian state capitalist system, you need the strongest democracies that share your values as you possibly can have. And we are not only indifferent to that, we're actively eroding it. That's a horrible thing. Think about this. Pandemic happens, Trump gives a press conference, and he says, "Um, I am uh, suspending travel for all non-US citizens and permanent residents from Europe. Now, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, but he didn't actually talk to the Europeans about it beforehand. He just announced it. They found out about it on TV. So the next day, the EU condemned the Trump administration, condemned them for, for, for making that policy. That's insane. 
I mean, could you imagine 2008 financial crisis, the Europeans condemning us for a decision? All that would have taken was a leader of the United States in advance getting on the fucking phone with the Brits and the French and the Germans and the Italians saying, look, we've got these problems. You have this problem. Let's announce together that we're going to coordinate how we handle international transit. Let's, and we'll all announce it together. We can even do it at a G7 meeting. What do you think about that? Because it'll show, it'll build some confidence, right? Confidence building, empathy, these are soft skills. It takes like an extra like day. (laughs) You know, it's so easy. It's the own goals that kill me. I understand that us providing PPE and tests to other countries We're not going to be able to do that. I get that. But at least take the geopolitical Hippocratic Oath. Do no harm. And we have a president of the United States that cannot help but actively harm U.S. position in the world at a time when that is the stupidest possible thing to do. And it's because he lacks expertise. He does not listen to advisors. He is a massive narcissist. He can't get out of his own way and he doesn't care. You so did not want a big crisis under this president. And unfortunately, we now have the biggest crisis since World War II under this president. Now, when, when you talk about trying to address big things like climate change uh, multilaterally, one of the things I said on the campaign trail was, hey, if we don't get our act together, at some point, another country is just going to start geoengineering. You know, they're going to look up and say, like, wait a minute, like, you know, my sea levels are rising. Like, uh, this is a ma- massive problem. Maybe I should just start launching sulfur dioxide clouds uh, in, in, into the atmosphere. And obviously, that ends up affecting all of us. And the example I used is there's like a Pacific Island nation that's literally like going underwater. It's like, uh, you know, and so if they had the capacity to geoengineer, would they have tried like... Probably yeah, because it's, it's literally like that or, you know, your entire country submerges. And the problem with geoengineering is that it's cheap. Yeah. I mean, you're not talking about trillions. You're talking about single digit billions of dollars that would allow you to throw enough into the atmosphere to actually bring down the temperature. Now, it doesn't help you with salinization and all of the dead, you know, no life in, in the oceans doesn't actually help you with the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. So if you stop doing it, it just the whole thing blows up. And there's no good science on all the other second order effects, never mind the fact that you're affecting everyone around the world, not just your own country. But if the choice is that or your nation commits suicide, if the choice is that or 50 million people trying to become climate migrants, but no one will take them, well, I mean, it would be irresponsible for you not to spend the few billion dollars, wouldn't it? So, I mean, if all if we're telling these people, screw you, we do not care about you, they have an obligation for their own people to take matters into their own hands. And geopolitically, in what I call a G0 world, not a G7, not a G20, but an absence of leadership, a G0, leaders will take those decisions. And that is what is happening today in response to coronavirus. And it's what's going to happen tomorrow with geoengineering if we don't get our act together on climate in a coordinated fashion pretty soon. 
Well, one thing I will say about Joe, having spent some time with him, how much time have you spent with Joey? And I know you- Not you much, a, a little. I mean, I've went to done meetings with them and such. Yeah, I figure- he is. You very- and I will have to do that at some point. We'll go in, you know. We'll we'll do the World Data Organization together with him. That'll be fun. Yeah, that that this this will happen. Um, I will say that Joe has a very very uh, deeply embedded internationalist and uh, globalist bent. Like he he very much wants to uh, revive or restore like U.S. global leadership and rebuild alliances and relationships. Um, that that seems to be very much a natural impulse for him. I completely believe that. I really do. But keep in mind, so did Obama. And and the reason he couldn't do it is not because his staff was incompetent. It wasn't because Obama wasn't smart. It's not because he doesn't understand things. It was because the rest of the world is a lot harder to support that alignment than it used to be. The Europeans are weaker. The Russians are in decline. They blame us for it. The Chinese are stronger. They're building competitive models, but also because a hell of a lot of Americans are saying no mas to this stuff. Yeah, you can't do anything unless you have a president that's oriented in that direction. And Biden will certainly be an improvement over Trump on that stuff. But that's I, I just don't think that's enough. I think we, there are a lot of a lot of additional lifting that we're going to require. Well, you and I agree too, and it's one reason we I think we get along is that we see the need for institutions, but we also recognize the limitations, particularly if the institutions were set up in a world that no longer exists. I agree with you that there are going to be limitations to what the next president can do globally, even if they do have the best of intentions. You know, one of the natural human impulses to, is to say that well, there's got to be some silver lining in this mess, and. One of the the hopes I have is that we're going to accelerate the problems, but we might accelerate some of the solutions too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that there are a lot of things that are being sped up by this. And we've talked about a lot of the geopolitical challenges, the inequality that's being sped up. But I mean, telemedicine's being sped up. Yeah. Re- remote work, universal basic income. Certainly the skies are clearer. I mean, we're polluting less though, you know, in like the least positive way possible because we're all stuck at home. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, one of the happiest people I know is right now is the former uh, prime minister of Bhutan, who, um, you know, has is using this to pay more attention to nature and meditate a little bit more. And, you know, those guys don't really care um, how much their economy grows every year, but they care a lot about whether they're healthy and happy and seem functional uh, in, in their broader community. And I, I, I hope that a few months at home forces those Americans who are so incredibly fortunate compared to so many around the world to ask ourselves what really matters to us. Uh, Because if we could vote for that, uh, we'd be a better country. Yes, that is the goal. We have to show people that we can vote for things that are bigger and deeper than stock market prices. Yeah, we have to ask ourselves, how can so few people spend so much time and so much effort pursuing things that obviously do not help either themselves or humanity. Yeah. And we can see very clearly who the essential workers are now, you know, yeah. like a, it, it's not that hedge fund manager. Ian, do you have anything you're working on that you'd like to promote? G-Zero Media is awesome. If anyone wants to hear more from this genius man, G-Zero Media is the place to go. Is there anything else you're working on that you want to share? Yeah, you should, they should sign up for the newsletter at g0media.com. You can do that. It's the easiest way to follow what we're doing. Uh, watch the TV show, G0 World. I mean, I'm working on a book right now, but it's a, it's a solid year before it comes out. So uh, so it's too early for that. What's the book about? Uh, it's, it's about what happens after this global order. It's what comes next. 
Oh my gosh, what Everybody happens? Needs that book, right? Yeah, I mean, I need yeah. that book. Like, heck, man, I'm going to be uh, cribbing from you uh, in, in the days to come. Hopefully, you know, from the White House, we'll be in there trying to heal the world to the extent we can. Man, I mean, I'm seriously, we've been in this for a couple of months and the country is not in good shape right now. And we know this is this is not going to get easier over the next few months. This is this year is going to be so freaking hard for so many people. And I, you just feel it. You I, just uh, feel it. I, I feel it. You know, we all do feel it. And it's yeah. material, but it, it's personal. It's human. Uh, it's like a journey of the spirit in many ways. Like I try and remind myself every day of how fortunate I am, my, my family. Um, to the fact that, you know, like everyone's healthy, uh, but people are undergoing trials, big and small, whether it's because your loved one is dying um, or just you're trapped in your home and you're uh, dealing with isolation on a personal level that you've never dealt with before. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, Ian, you and I'll be on the other side. You are uh, a man of genius, intellect, character, vision, uh, and I'm proud to consider you a friend. Love you, man. Great to be with you, man. Love you too. Stay safe, brother. 